Welcome to Salem Alliance Church. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org. This week's message is by Brian Candelo. I don't know if you're much of a movie watcher. Uh, I love to watch movies because I love a good story. I love when someone tells a good story, and that's what movies are. And I love the moment in the movie where the music starts to play, and somebody steps up and starts to give the speech. And you know the speech. You know the one where the music's swelling, and this person is saying, against all odds, and we can do this, and you start to get goosebumps, and it's just this moment, right? I want to show you uh, a couple of these clips, a little pep talk this morning for you. I think we all need pep talk. Great moments are born from great opportunity. What we do in life echoes in eternity. Seize the day. Gather ye rose, but while ye may. Down here, it's our time. It's our time down here. This is your time. But it ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. In this lifetime, you don't have to prove nothing to nobody except yourself. But it's not a ball with ice. It's a ball with you see. And I see a whole army of my countrymen. Again! I see pride. Can I hear you? I see power. I don't want them to gain another yard. You blitz all night! This is where we hold them! This is where we fight! If we played them ten times, they might win nine. But not this game. Not tonight. But it is not this day. All the days, from this day to that, for one chance, just one chance, to come back here and tell our enemies that they may take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom! Are you sufficiently inspired right now? I mean, we really, we could just close in prayer and get on out there. I love those moments. In particular, I love the locker room speeches. I have an affinity for sports, and I've been a part of a lot of different sports teams. And, you know, when I see that clip from the movie Miracle, I want to get out there and play hockey. I don't even skate, but I'm like, oh. Because I love those motivational speeches, and I've, I've been a part of some. I've been a part of some really great motivational locker room talks, and I've been a part of some really bad ones. In particular, the worst one I was a part of is it's halftime of a basketball game and the coach comes in and just starts railing at us, yelling at us. And he's got this vein in his forehead that keeps growing and it's like pulsing. And I think there's just going to be this alien moment where it comes out. And he he screams at a kid who wasn't putting forth his full effort and he kicks him off the team at halftime. We're at an away game out of state. And he kicks this kid off the team. How's he getting home? I don't even know. And then he says, now get back out there. And we were all like, oh, that was horrible. Now, conversely, the best motivational locker room talk I ever heard was this. College kid walks in. He's chewing this big wad of gum. Pacing in front of us. And then he stops and he goes, we're here to do two things. Chew bubble gum and kick some butt. 
And then he takes the gum out of his mouth and he throws it and he goes, and I'm all out of bubble gum. <laughs> and the whole place just erupts. Strangely motivational. Surprisingly motivational. But that's what a good locker room talk is, isn't it? A locker room talk is this. It's a battle. It's not going to be easy. You're going to have to work as a team. You're going to have to remember the things that we practiced. You can do this. Victory is waiting for you. Remember who you are. And in a lot of ways, I feel like that's what John is telling us in our text this morning. I feel like we're going to hear this. It's a battle. It is not easy. Some of these things that you're supposed to live by, they're hard. But remember who you are. Remember whose you are. And remember what's been done on your behalf. We're continuing our series, Real Faith. And we're studying the letters of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. A couple weeks ago, we got the introduction. And John said, I want your joy to be complete. And by doing that, I mean, I mean fellowship with Jesus, fellowship with believers. Last week, Jennifer did a great job of talking us, to us about sin and, and what it means to confess. And this week, we're going to look at some of those difficult things, but also who we are. Because there are difficult things in the book of 1 John. 1 John 2.6 says this. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. Now, if we take that statement seriously, that should make us go, Wow. Ouch, that's hard. And then he follows up this difficult truth. Immediately afterwards, he says, oh, love one another. Jesus lived this commandment, so love like Jesus loved. John's saying, here's, here's what you need to do. You need to live like Jesus lived, and you need to love like Jesus loved. And I look at that, and I go, how in the world are we supposed to do those things? How are we really supposed to do those things effectively? I mean, I feel like I can hardly get through a single day without something going sideways. There's relational breakdowns that happen in our lives. There's frustration that can rise to the surface, whether it uh, has to do with something at work or, or something in our commute. There's words that I say that I want to stuff back in my mouth sometimes, right? You know that experience. Sometimes there's frustration that rises at the children, you know, behavioral scientists say children learn by example. I clean up at home. They haven't learned by that example. <laughs> I like to go to sleep at night. They don't learn by that example. There can be all these frustrations that rise up in your life, and you say, how can I live like the perfect, spotless, sinless Savior of the world? How can I love like Jesus loved? How can I live like Jesus lived? And I feel like this morning that we see John saying, okay, 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 yeah, these are difficult truths, but here's this. Here, I want to tell you something big. I want to pause here. I want to give you this locker room pep talk. Don't forget who you are and whose you are and what's been done on your behalf. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in 1 John chapter 2. If you want to grab one from the pew there, and you can read the really small print. Uh, page 1031. Now, the three verses that we're going to read this morning are an interruption in the narrative. And you can even see, if you look in Scripture, they're, they're kind of offset. They look different than the other verses. The margins aren't the same. It looks like poetry. It's not exactly poetry, but it is poetical. And, and John is going to give us this reminder because he's, he's an old guy. He's a seasoned vet. He's this old pastor, and he understands that when you say difficult things, when you put difficult truth out there for people to hear and respond to, that sometimes a weight can settle in. 
And sometimes you can hear difficult truth and discouragement can set in it. And it becomes this question of capacity. Can I do these things? Can I live this life? Can I keep up in this Christian walk, in this Christian journey? I mean, love like Jesus, love. Jesus, do you know who you gave me for my extended family? That's a tough one. Jesus, live like you lived. I don't know. But John knows that this isn't possible on our own. It's only possible if we remember these things that he's going to tell us. He's going to remind us about position. He's going to remind us about power. And he's going to remind us about the person of Christ. And so if you are discouraged as a disciple of Christ, I hope these three things that we're going to talk about today are a lifeline. And if you are not discouraged in your journey right now, I don't want to be the guy that stands up and says, it's coming. I want to say, good for you. I'm glad. I hope you remember these truths. Or maybe you came in this morning and you're investigating Christianity. And you want to know how people can make claims like this and actually follow through. I hope you begin to lean in and understand what some of these things are. So we're going to read 1 John chapter 2, starting in verse 12. It says this, and you'll notice there's a, there's a cadence to this. There's a, a repetition. I am writing to you who are God's children because your sins have been forgiven through Jesus. I am writing to you who are mature in the faith because you know Christ who existed from the beginning. I am writing to you who are young in the faith because you have won your battle with the evil one. I have written to you who are God's children because you know the Father. I have written to you who are mature in the faith because you know Christ who existed from the beginning. I have written to you who are young in the faith because you are strong. God's word lives in your hearts, and you have won your battle with the evil one. And as you can see, he's writing to three different groups of people. He says children, he says young, he says mature. Now, this isn't necessarily age group related. He's not like I'm writing to you three to nine-year-olds. It's not that. It's stages. And he's showing us stages because stages indicate movement. They indicate progress. And all of these things aren't guaranteed at each of these stages. You could have all three of these things at the first stage. But he's saying usually as children, you understand this. And then as young people, you begin to grasp this. And then as mature people, this comes along in your life. And he's going to give these three reminders. And I hope this is a huge encouragement to you. I hope this is what allows you to get back in the game. I hope that this is what reminds you this is who you are. And we can't do it on our own, but we can do it because of these things. The first one is found in verse 12. He says, I am writing to you, God's children, because your sins have been forgiven through Jesus. This is the first truth we need to remember. Your sins have been forgiven through Jesus. A Christian isn't just somebody that hopes for forgiveness. A Christian is somebody that has received forgiveness. We are radically, permanently, completely forgiven. And you might say, yeah, of all these things, yeah, I, I get it for those, but not this thing, not this really big thing, not this, that you know, that time I really, really messed up. But our sins are not more powerful than the cross of Christ. They're not. We have been forgiven. This is the essential message of the gospel. As a matter of fact, when Jesus, just before he ascends back to heaven and he's sending the disciples out, Luke chapter 24, he says, Proclaim this truth to the nations. And here's the truth. There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. 
I want you to go. I want you to tell the world that there is forgiveness. I want the world to understand what it means to be a forgiven people, how that changes our position. And so when John is writing this letter, he's reminding us of that. In chapter 1, verse 9, one of the great verses in Scripture, he says, if we confess our sins, God's faithful, and he's going to forgive us our sins. He's going to cleanse us from those things. Jennifer last week talked about it, and she said this. She said, confession is getting the poop out of your pocket. Now, if you were here, you understand that. If you weren't at church last week, I just threw a curveball at you. Go back and listen to it. But here's the thing. I was walking the dog this past week. And I was processing what that meant. Confession is getting the poop out of your pocket. And I was thinking, you know, sometimes we don't live like we're forgiven. Sometimes what we do is we confess our sins and we take the poop out of our pocket. And then the next time we turn around, we've got it back in our pocket again. And we know that experience. And if you've been a believer for any period of time, you've, you've probably had the experience of confessing the same sin over and over and over again. And usually it happens at night, and usually it's when everything kind of gets quiet, and then this parade of things marches through our minds, and it says, you know what, you're no good. You're a failure. You're worthless, and you're never gonna be any different, and you're never gonna be any good for the kingdom of God. And then this guilt and embarrassment and shame starts to settle in, and, and we start to buy into that. And so we've confessed these things, but we, we, we pick up the poop and we put it back in our pocket like, okay, I guess I got to carry that still. And I think there's a lot of reasons that we do that. I think one is that we believe the lie of the enemy who says you're not forgiven. Who says, no, other people are forgiven, you're not. I think another reason that we continue to carry the poop is that we think we need to suffer accordingly. That there's a certain weight with certain sins, and if, if we haven't done our time, if we haven't experienced that punishment, then we need to let that rest on us, and usually we just want it to, and, and we almost feel okay with that, and we just want it to suffer under the weight of this sin. But the, the negative byproduct with that is the less that we receive grace, the less that we're willing to give grace to other people. And the more we feel like we have to suffer under our sin, the more we want other people to suffer for their sins. And we become graceless in that. You know, I think another reason that, that we don't live like we're forgiven is we think sometimes forgiveness somehow depends on our own effort. Like when we say, oh, well, I confessed and I repented, we mean I worked my heart into a certain condition, that, that there's a certain sorrow or a certain posture. Like if I have enough sincerity, if I can muster enough sincerity, if I can create the proper struggle, then God will then forgive me for those things. But if I can't create that proper emotional state, then I won't receive forgiveness. And that sounds a lot like performance, doesn't it? Which is a slippery slope. It's this idea of, you know, maybe I don't know what is enough. I don't know what gets me from not enough to enough, from not forgiven to forgiven. But I'm going to try my hardest. I'm going to do my own thing that way. And if that's the mindset that we have, if we think it's about the quality of our repentance, then we're always gonna be upset. We're always gonna be anxious. We're always gonna be discouraged. And we have to understand that it's not that at all. Our confession, our, our repentance, allows us to receive forgiveness, but it does not merit forgiveness. Our confession allows us to receive forgiveness. It doesn't merit forgiveness. Think of it this way. Think of it as a light switch. 
When you flip a light switch, the light goes on. But the switch isn't what powers the light. The switch is what allows the power to get to the light. The switch is what closes that circuit. So the switch is, is our confession. We flip the switch, sure, there's a piece of that. But it's not us, it's not our own power that brings forgiveness. Scripture says that we are forgiven because of the name of Christ. And literally in this passage, it says we are forgiven on the account of Jesus, which means it's somebody else's account we're drawing on. We're not drawing on our own account. We're forgiven because of the name of Christ. We get to a place that we could not otherwise get to because of Jesus. It's not our own effort. When I was growing up, I grew up in Pittsburgh, and we did not have an NBA team, but one preseason when I was growing up, the Los Angeles Lakers came to town. They were going to do an exhibition game, and this was, this was the Showtime Lakers. I mean, this was Magic, this was Kareem, this was James Worthy. Anybody remember those Lakers? All four of us, great. Okay. So this was a big deal. So a friend of mine invites me to go along with him and his dad. His dad worked for a magazine in town. He had media credentials. So when we show up at the game, we go in a different entrance. We go in the lower entrance. And we walk in, and, and we get these lanyards with these badges. And as we walk in, there's this big room that has all this huge buffet full of food for all the media members. And there's a security guy at the door. So my friend's dad, Mr. Wilson, he walks in straight in. I get up to the door and I look at this guy and I'm like, I'm with Mr. Wilson? And he's like, come on in. So I go in and I eat. And after I eat, I get to walk down that tunnel that leads right to the court. At the end of the tunnel, though, there's a security guy. I get up to this guy, I'm like, I'm with Mr. Wilson? He's like, come on. I walk right out on the court. I'm standing on the court, everybody's warming up. And we don't, I don't know where we're gonna even sit. So the security guy comes up to us and I'm getting a little more bold now. I'm like, I'm with Mr. Wilson. <laughs> and he goes, where do you want to sit? You want to sit underneath the hoop? Yeah, I do. Of course I do. So we sit there. After the game, we go back to the locker room. I just walk right through. I'm with Mr. Wilson. <laughs> now, here's the thing about a locker room. As a kid, you would think, oh, the locker room. And then you get in there, and you're like, that's just a nasty locker room. It's not that exciting. But here I am. No authority. It's not my own merit. I'm completely getting blessed in all of these situations on the name of somebody else. Because somebody else has done something, I'm allowed to access these things. That's the way it is with forgiveness. You see, if we look to ourselves, we're always going to be discouraged. But when we understand that forgiveness is through the name of Christ, then we can walk in victory. See, as Christians, we're not hoping for forgiveness we have forgiveness. So you can take the poop out of your pocket and not put it back in. We don't need to believe the lie of the enemy. We don't need to suffer a certain amount. The payment's been paid. We don't need to have our effort gain that for us. And so we can walk in freedom. You are forgiven. That is who you are. It changes your position. The second truth we see at the end of verse 14, he says, I have written to you who are young in the faith because you are strong. God's word lives in your hearts and you have won your battle with the evil one. 
You're strong. God's word is in you. You have won your battle. This is not a natural strength. This is not like a hit the gym strength. This is not a knowledge is power kind of strength. What he's saying is you're strong. You've won your battle because God's word lives in you. Now, in the New Testament, there's three ways that the word word is written. And the first is this, rhema. There's certain times in the New Testament where God speaks word. So rhema is God's spoken word. And anytime he speaks, the word rhema is used. Graphe is God's written word when it talks about the scriptures. That's the written word of God. Now, logos, that's the essential word. That means Christ. And that's why John begins his gospel by saying, in the beginning was the word. In the beginning was the logos. In the beginning was Christ was Jesus. Now, when John's writing this letter, he's saying God's word lives in you. God's logos lives in you. Jesus lives in you. And we see this all throughout the New Testament. Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Maybe you grew up in church and they had, you know, ask Jesus into your heart. We get that from Ephesians 3.17. It says Christ makes his home in our hearts. This is God's spirit in us. The word of God, the spirit of God are used interchangeably. And this is what John is reminding us of. And he reminds us of this in in his gospel, John 14, verse 20. He says, I'm in my father, you are in me, I am in you. And it's a passage speaking about God's spirit. You see, when you give your life to Christ, God's spirit comes It says that in Ephesians chapter one. When you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit whom he promised long ago. You're a part of a spirit-filled community. God is not a God who's way distant, you know, maybe pulling strings way up behind the clouds. God says, I'm not just with you, I'm in you. This is who we are as believers. This is how we're supposed to live. A.W. Tozer says it this way. The spirit-filled life is not a special deluxe edition of Christianity. It is part and parcel of the total plan of God for his people. Holy Spirit is the power in us. It's not a power like, oh, I just had a Red Bull and ate a Cliff Bar. I feel so much stronger right now. It's a a completely different power. It's, It's the DNA of Christ in us. It's the Spirit who is changing us. You know, because Jesus is loving, Holy Spirit wants us to be loving. Because Jesus is joyful, Spirit wants us to be joyful. Because Jesus is patient, constantly changing us. But maybe you feel like you're discouraged. Maybe you feel in your journey you're exhausted. Think of your spiritual journey as if you were on a sailboat. Your spiritual journey is you on a sailboat. Now, If you're there and the sail's down, you can move the boat a little bit. You could lean over to the side and you could paddle with your hands and you could create some momentum. You'd probably go in a circle, but you could get somewhere, you could move somewhere, but mostly you'd end up exhausted. But if you set the sail, if you allow the wind to blow into that sail, then that's a completely different ride, isn't it? We need Holy Spirit, the wind of the Spirit, to move us forward on this journey or all we're gonna do is exhaust ourselves trying to paddle this thing. 
And so I think oftentimes when we get discouraged in the Christian faith, when we go, how can I live like Jesus lived? How can I love like Jesus loved? It's because we're forgetting that God's spirit is in us. God's spirit is the wind that's pushing us forward. It's filling our sails. The Bible says the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in us. John says this later on. 1 John 4, 4. But you belong to God, my dear children. You have already won a victory. That's just what he said to them. You've already won a victory. Why? Because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in the world. So how are we going to do it? How are we going to live this way? God's word, God's spirit lives in us. This is who you are. That's who you are. That's what's going to get us back in the game. The third thing he says is this. He says he's writing to the mature now. He doesn't put an age on it. He's very wise. I'm writing to you who are mature because you know Christ who existed from the beginning. You know Christ who existed from the beginning. He didn't say because you know about Jesus. He's not saying what I really want you to do is I want you to go out there. I want you to learn a whole lot of stuff. I want you to build up this incredible reservoir of facts and figures and knowledge about me. No. You see, if you can have faith like a snowflake. It can be beautiful and intricate and symmetrical and freezing. If all you have is knowledge. This isn't just about knowledge. It's about knowing. And he, he differentiates even. He, the the children, he says, you know Jesus as father. Mature, you know him as the one who existed from the beginning. And there's a difference. Children have a different relationship with their father than 20-somethings do. At least they should. Children have this relationship with their parents that's pretty one-sided, isn't it? And oftentimes it's a little bit selfish. And hopefully that relationship changes the older you get. Mark Twain says it this way. He says, when I was a boy of 14, my father was so ignorant I could hardly stand to have the old man around. But when I got to be 21, I was astonished at how much the old man had learned in seven years. <laughs> this is a difference, right? His dad didn't change. He changed. The relationship changed. John's writing this as an old man. He's writing this out of experience. He's saying, this is what I've experienced in my life, is knowing Jesus. And knowing there is, is a personal experience. It's a communion. It's a growth. It's a progress. It's a word that's intimate. It's the same word that Mary used when she's telling the Holy Spirit, how can I be pregnant? I haven't known a man. It's this intimacy in this relationship. And John is wanting to bring that back up. And he's wanting to remind the people, listen, the more time that goes on, the more you'll see God being faithful. And the more that this crazy world spins out of control, the more solid Jesus is. And the more the world changes, the more Jesus remains the same. And so continue to lean in. Continue to know him. Continue in this progress of your relationship. God is infinite. There's always going to be more to know. You'll never get to the edges of who God is. For all eternity, we will be growing in this relationship. And so mature believers in this room, you are forgiven. 
Holy Spirit lives in you, and you know God. You're further along today than you were. So keep leaning in. This is who you are. This is who we are. We are a forgiven people. We are a spirit-filled people. We are a people that know Jesus. A couple things, though, I want us to be able to lean in on. A couple things to hang on to in closing here. First, I would just remind you that you're forgiven. But maybe in this space, you need to receive forgiveness. Maybe there's just something that continually jumps out at you that you feel like you're putting back in your pocket all the time. And you need to receive that forgiveness this morning. You need to receive the love of God this morning. And so in a minute, we're going to have an opportunity to pray, and maybe that's what your prayer is going to be, and you're going to have this picture of this sin being nailed to the cross once and for all and receive forgiveness this morning. The second thing I would say is that we need to continue to pray for filling, that we are a people that have the indwelling of the Spirit, and we need to continue to pray for the power of the Spirit in our lives. And as I've been meditating about this this picture of this sailboat, it just more and more has resonated with me this week. Usually I think of filling as like a cup, and you fill up the cup and then it's done. It's full. You know, I know we leak, but, but that's it. It's just a full cup. But when you think of it as the Spirit filling a sail, you need to continue to have that sail be full or you're not going anywhere. Or you're going to wear yourself out. And so maybe you make that prayer, Spirit, fill me as part of your, your prayer routine, as part of that what you lean in on when you start to pray and you're like, God, thanks for today and all the things that you normally pray. Spirit, fill me. And lastly, I would say this. We know God. Our relationship is growing, but celebrate that. Celebrate your spiritual anniversary. Some people would celebra- say celebrate your spiritual birthday or your rebirthday. Celebrate. Celebrate the time, whether it's six months or six years or 60 years. The time that you've grown in Christ. Now, I don't know, maybe you remember it. I don't remember mine. I don't remember what it is. As a matter of fact, I've got it narrowed down to about three years, about a three-year period, somewhere in middle school. And so I'm saying this. If you can't remember the exact date, make it up. You have my permission. Think about Christmas. Jesus probably wasn't born December 25th. We celebrate it anyway. Celebrate. Celebrate that moment. So here's the thing. We're here this morning to do two things. <laughs> We're here to chew bogum, and we're here to live like Jesus lived. And I'm all out of bubble gum. <laughs> all right, all right. It's, it's not going to be easy. It's not. And we can't do it on our own. But we want to remember who we are and whose we are and what's been done on our behalf. And so I, I just want to close in a posture of prayer this morning. And I would ask that uh, we're, we're going to just pray through those three things. And, and maybe the first thing is that you need to receive forgiveness. So as we pray, I would ask that you just have your hands out and your palms up in this posture of receiving. And, and Jesus, I pray for those in the room that have that one thing that just keeps sticking, that they can't get rid of. I pray that your forgiveness floods over them. Holy Spirit, 
that you would allow them to experience the love of the Father, that you would allow them to experience forgiveness, that they would see that sin being nailed to the cross once and for all, that they don't believe the lie, that it's always gonna be there. For those in the room that need to continue to pray, Spirit, fill me. Spirit, I pray that you would continue to fill all of us, that you would continue to fill our sails. Forgive us for the exhausting effort of trying to do it on our own. We want to be more like you, Jesus. Conform to the character of Christ and help us to celebrate that relationship. Jesus, thanks for showing your faithfulness, even when we're not faithful. And help us to celebrate that time with you. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Salem Alliance Church is a community of Jesus followers located in downtown Salem, Oregon. And we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. If you have a request that we could pray for, please email us at prayers at salemalliance.org. You can view today's entire service online at livestream.com backslash Salem Alliance.